Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at DNV. In previous episodes of this second series, we've examined the key shipping regulators and the goals and requirements of major maritime nations when it comes to greenhouse gas politics. As always on Maritime Impact, we will continue to ask how these developments may affect shipping businesses in the move towards a decarbonized future. In this episode, we will focus on the global event that has been on everybody's lips and its implications for shipping, namely COP26. We hope you enjoy the episode, and now on to the show. COP26 wrapped up in Glasgow close to midnight on Saturday, November 13th. This 26th conference of the parties under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change was a key milestone in the follow-up from the Paris Agreement. Hammered out back in 2015, the Paris Agreement committed its 196 signatories to limit global warming to well below 2, preferably to 1.5 degrees C, compared to pre-industrial levels. COP26 was such a key conference, as this is where the countries of the world came together six years on after Paris, one year delayed due to COVID, to take stock of where the world stands in the fight against climate change. Most importantly, conference was about concluding the additional agreements needed to reach the 1.5 degree target. Was it a success? I think it depends on your perspective, on whether you are a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. In more stark terms, we saw everything from smiles and cheering from some to the tears being shed by the COP26 president. Some very dire warnings were presented in the run-up to Glasgow, pointing out that the world is well on its way to 2.7 degrees of warming, not 2.0, and certainly not 1.5. After nearly two weeks of challenging negotiations, the so-called Glasgow Climate Pact was agreed, along with a number of standalone commitments and pledges that in total keep the 1.5 degree target within reach, as politicians like to say. But make no mistake, the likelihood of attaining that goal is pretty remote without some very significant additional pledges by key countries. On a more positive note, agreement was reached to deliver new and more ambitious national commitments in 2022 instead of waiting until 2025. In addition to the overarching goal of trying to keep 1.5 degrees alive, there were negotiations on climate finance flows to developing countries. This has been a long-standing source of conflict, with pledges made at Paris, and before, still remaining unfulfilled. The issue wasn't really resolved this time around either, and it continues to be a source of fundamental distrust between developing and developed countries. On the brighter and more technical side, agreement was finally reached on the basic rules facilitating international carbon trading. While a lot of work is needed to establish an actual mechanism, the fundamentals allowing international carbon markets to play a role are now in place. But for now, let's take a closer look at what all of this actually means for the maritime sector. First and foremost, and to dispel any potential misunderstandings, COP26 had no outcomes immediately and directly impacting shipping. This is not to say that COP26 does not matter for shipping, it does, but rather to emphasize that the implications are more indirect. The most important and immediate consequence for industry is the impact on politics and policy at the IMO, and indeed, the way this feeds into the IMO negotiations on shipping decarbonization goals and additional greenhouse gas regulations, both to be finalized in 2023. 
There is no doubt that COP26 increases external pressure on the IMO to increase its ambitions and accelerate its actions. But as the IMO consists of the same member states we now have seen in action in Glasgow, we can expect to see the same fundamental fault lines appear at the IMO. If we try to second-guess the positions that some countries might take at the IMO by looking at the COP26 negotiations in detail, there are some pertinent examples. The last-day hardball tactics played on coal, or the challenging Article 6 negotiations, demonstrate that we are unlikely to see anonymity. I suspect that when it comes to the IMO, we'll end up with a split-screen image with one side building on COP26 to advocate strongly for more action faster, and with another being significantly more reluctant. Instead of a new, more ambitious consensus, we are likely to see sharper and more vocal disagreements in the run-up to 2023. Simply put, I do not see that COP26 is creating a new reality and a more ambitious consensus at the IMO. But in engineering terms, it does increase the pressure and temperature. So were there any tangible outcomes for shipping? Let's find out. To repeat, COP26 itself did not really negotiate shipping-related issues. In practical terms, everything directly related to shipping happened at the margins of the conference. But here several things did happen that may have consequences down the road. Glasgow was dominated by a double-digit number of declarations containing a broad range of ambitions. Some are focused on particular pollutants, some on general reduction ambitions, and some are sector-specific. For the maritime sector, there are a few worth highlighting as they may have significant impact over time. The Global Methane Pledge aims to reduce global methane emissions by 30% before 2030, and while it is focused primarily on the upstream and agricultural dimensions of methane emissions, the focus on methane in general may feed into the ongoing LNG-related discussions at the IMO. Regulating methane slip and the work on the life cycle analysis guidelines for fuels are two areas that immediately spring to mind. The pledges to phase out coal are potentially significant for the dry bulk trade, given the large number of countries committing to a phase-out. However, this is watered down by Australia, China, India and the United States not supporting the pledges. Indeed, it was a last-minute opposition to language on coal phase-out that almost caused a late collapse of the entire conference. Phase-out was replaced by the slightly softer phase-down, and diplomatic disaster was averted. The Clydebank Declaration and its intent to establish green shipping corridors between selected ports is also supported by major signatories. Whether it will have real-life impact or not remains to be seen, seeing as it is mostly based on voluntary cooperation between private entities. Signatory governments are pledged to provide support, but it is still too early to say what will materialize in practice. There is no doubt the declaration is a very clear policy signal, but I think more time is needed to assess how effective it will be. The Article 6 negotiations on rules for a global carbon market were actually part of the COP negotiations, and while not shipping-specific, they will be of significance if and when the IMO manages to move ahead with a market-based measure. There is now legally binding text in the Glasgow Climate Pact on how to account for transfers for so-called other international mitigation purposes, which can be read as referring to markets such as Corsia for aviation and potentially a future IMO market-based measure. Potential real-life consequences are still some ways off. The agreement needs to be developed into an actual mechanism. 
And of course, the IMO outcome on MBMs is still very much up in the air. And finally, I would be remiss if I did not mention the Just Transition Maritime Task Force, focusing on the role of seafarers in transitioning to clean and green shipping. The importance of seafarer competence and training should not be underestimated, not least when it comes to the safety aspects of the transition. So, how should we assess COP26's overall impact on shipping? To the key takeaways and the basic question, good COP or bad COP? There is no doubt in my mind that COP26 was a significant meeting, and this extends to shipping. But I think it's important to emphasize that its main significance lies in adding political fuel to the fire of negotiations at the IMO. It will have implications for the process leading up towards IMO decisions in 2023 and beyond, and hopefully it will also have impact on the decisions themselves. Additionally, commitments and pledges were made in the margins of the negotiations that, if fulfilled, will strengthen efforts towards the decarbonization of shipping. While the effects will not be immediate and will be dependent on governments and the private sector finding efficient ways to collaborate, there is no doubt that these pledges are a strong signal for shipping to step up. So all things considered, I believe this was a reasonably good COP. Before I go, I want to let you know that we have a new hub called Decarbonize Shipping, where you can find information on key drivers and regulations, as well as on the different pathways to reducing emissions. It is really worth checking it out at dnv.com forward slash decarbonize hyphen shipping to get a clear overview of the complex picture of decarbonization. And if you haven't downloaded our Maritime Forecast to 2050 yet, I strongly recommend doing so, as you can have a look at our decarbonization stairway, showing individual owners how they can adapt to stay below the required greenhouse gas emission trajectories. As always, DNV stands ready to assist. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNV with me, Eric Nyhus. Please join us for our next episode where we will focus on the outcomes of MEPC 77. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or review. Thank you for listening. <laughs>